From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant uh, good afternoon to you. Welcome back. We had a nice show this morning with uh, Gerald Pollack on water. Pretty fun guy and took a break. And now we're going to have another good show for you with uh, somebody that, uh, well, let me give you a phone number. 888 888-663-6386. June 28th, we are live, 2 o'clock Central Time, Dripping Springs, Texas, the center of the universe. I just made that part up. Um, also, email Patrick at one radio network.com. Patrick at one radio network.com. Some time ago, we uh, talked to a gentleman by the name of Thomas Seafried. He's a PhD, and he uh, wrote a book, a treatise, um, what, uh, 10 years ago Cancer as a Metabolic, as a metabolic Disease on the Origins, Management, and Cancer Prevention. That word metabolic is key because it's not kind of like what everybody else in the universe says it is. Dr. Seafried, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's uh, nice to be back. Thanks. Well, ever since the first time we talked, I've thought so often about our conversation and the work that you're doing and what you told us about how your work and your research, 45 years, is like, 180 degrees from what everybody thinks cancer is. And I kept thinking to myself, washing the dishes, you know, how is that possible? How is that possible something this big is not looked at, according to you and your research, in the proper way? Well, um, it's not just me. Um, You know, Otto Warburg said the same thing. Um, One of the giants of the 20th century in in biochemistry, um, he clearly defined the origin of cancer as a disorder of energy metabolism in the cell. Hmm. And, um, you know, I read a lot of his work and I read all of the arguments against what he said. And um, I went back and I revisited all of the key issues and I did my own experiments to test what if Warburg work was correct or not. And basically, he was correct in his definition of how cancer arose from chronic damage of the ability of the cell to generate sufficient energy through oxygen. Hmm. So cancer cells are basically cells that live in that can live quite a, quite comfortably in the absence of oxygen. His his evidence for this was um, based on how much lactic acid a cancer cell would produce relative to that of a normal cell. Lactic acid being a waste product of a fermentation metabolism and normal cells produce very little lactic acid, unless you're a muscle that's over over exercised. People know that lactic acid will build up if you exercise muscles too effectively. But once oxygen comes back, the muscle cells will use oxygen and generate energy that way. The cancer cell, on the other hand, is locked into this dependency on fermentation or lactic acid fermentation. And uh, so Warburg was measuring the amount of lactic acid. 
each molecule of lactic acid was equivalent in his mind to one molecule of ATP. ATP is the energy currency that keeps us all alive. We all have to recognize that without energy, we cannot live. Nothing can live without energy. So Otto Warburg was saying these cancer cells are living with energy generated in the absence of oxygen called a fermentation process. And he was he was uh, convinced that the predominant form of ATP or energy generation in the cancer cell was through this lactic acid fermentation with glucose as the starting molecule. Um, <laughs> and he also realized that cancer cells consume less oxygen than normal cells. And every molecule of oxygen consumed would be equivalent to seven molecules of ATP energy produced. So in his readouts of lactic acid as a marker for fermentation and reduced oxygen consumption as a marker for inefficient oxidative phosphorylation, he concluded that damage to oxidative phosphorylation was associated with a compensatory shift in the ability of the cell to replace energy from oxygen with energy from these ancient fermentation pathways. And this led to a great deal of arguments and controversies about this. Uh, in particular, people have today still do, uh, as well as Sidney Winehouse, who attacked Warburg viciously, uh, and not, uh, not without reason either, in, in my mind, and looking back, uh, Sidney Winehouse found some cancer cells that took in just as much oxygen as a normal cell and therefore said Warburg is wrong because hmm. some of these cancer cells obviously are using oxygen. We and others have now found that the oxygen consumption in a cancer cell is not used for ATP synthesis. This was the big misunderstanding that continues to plague the field. You go there to your uh, you're in Austin, right? Yes, uh, they have University of Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay, those guys doing metabolism at University of Texas in cancer. I would suggest that I would predict, I don't know for sure, but I would predict the majority of those guys are thinking oxygen consumption is linked to ATP synthesis through oxidative phosphorylation in a cancer cell. And if they thought that, they'd be wrong. It's not right. Just as Sidney Winehouse was incorrect, Warburg was incorrect, we have and others have now shown that cancer cells take in oxygen, but it's not used for ATP synthesis. It's used for reactive oxygen species, which are radical da damaging uh, radicals that damage the DNA cause mutations and all this other stuff. We also know. So in other words, in the cancer cell, one mo a mole of oxygen consumed does not equal seven moles of ATP produced. So this is an error in Warburg's calculation and an error in most people today. They're making the same error. So we've 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 cleaned that mess up, uh, but nobody wants to believe it. This is another thing, <laughs> even, even though you have the evidence to support it here. What what number would you like me to change? Uh, you know, it's like, well, we can't believe that, because if we believe that, that means Otto Warburg origin origin of cancer may have been correct. And God forbid Otto Warburg would be correct, because that means that the entire National Institutes of Cancer Cells cannot be correct. Wow. <laughs> National, so this is the, you mm. know, nobody likes to admit that they were wrong. Yes, sir. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. But if your whole cancer, National Cancer Institute 
is based on the view that cancer is a genetic disease, which they state on their website. And, and we now know that all of these mutations in the cancer cell are all effects of, of damaged respiration. This is an extremely difficult pill to swallow. So uh, we have gone back and we have shown where Otto Warburg was absolutely correct and where he was incorrect. So, um, you know, uh, and, and we're trying to resolve these issues uh, uh, right now. So uh, once we complete this um, clarification uh, and, and polish up the whole process, oxygen consumption does not is not linked to ATP synthesis in a cancer cell. Cancer cells cannot use oxygen for energy. This is one of the interesting things. Cancer cells get energy and grow without oxygen. Okay? So the oxygen consumption you see in cancer cells is not used it's not used for ATP synthesis. It's used for other things. And then other things are reactive oxygen species which cause the mutations that the field thinks are important. And the mutations in cancer are largely downstream epiphenomena. They're not, they're not the cause. So all this concepts of precision medicine and this thing and that thing, EGFR receptor targeting and all this kind of, this is not based on the, the, the cancer is a metabolic disease. It's not a genetic disease. So we're wasting billions and billions of dollars chasing stuff uh, that's not relevant to the nature, the real problem. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody who gets a targeted therapy doesn't benefit from it. They do. But so many people don't. And hmm. some of these targeted therapies are actually called, they call it hyper-progressive disease. It actually kills the patient before the cancer does. So, uh, and nobody likes to talk about those poor folks that are being killed by hyper-progressive disease from these new immunotherapies. So that would never happen in metabolic therapy because you're not dealing with with that <laughs> with downstream epiphenomena. So, uh, Patrick, when you said, "How is it possible?" It, it, it's 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 uh, ideological dogma. The field is linked to a dogmatic view that cancer is a genetic disease. So, if you look at folks at the top medical schools getting grants from the National Cancer Institute. And if the National Cancer Institute says cancer is a genetic disease, your grants better damn well be related to some aspect of looking at your patients. Or otherwise, you're not going to get funded. You're going to get funded. Huh. Yeah, you're going to lose your job. So uh, uh, what am I supposed to say? I mean, it's just a matter of time before uh, there'll be a switchover, but I don't know how long that's going to take. I, of course, know a bit about Warburg, but when we see around what and uh, what happened to his work. I mean, uh, how did the market react to it? Well, it was a. It was um, you, if you look back at the. I mean, it was a massive amount of controversy. Whole books written on Warburg's really? ideas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Eisenberg wrote a whole book on the glycolysis of tumor cells. The other thing that we have discovered. I made a first announcement of this in my book, uh, "Cancer is a Metabolic Disease." that the cancer cells ferment uh, amino acids, not just glucose. Hmm. And the amino acid that's predominantly fermented is glutamine, and which is the most abundant amino acid in our body. Uh, Warburg knew nothing about this. Uh, 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 and the field continues to think that the cancer cells use glutamine 
and it's respired. In other words, it's it's used to develop ATP through respiration. Ah, wrong. Bah. We 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 have massive evidence showing that's not true. Glutamine is fermented, so the cancer cell can live on glucose and glutamine in the complete absence of oxygen. So this is the key. So in order to effectively manage cancer in a human or in a dog or in a mouse, it becomes important to simultaneously restrict the two fuels that are responsible for generating energy. And that's the sugar glucose and the amino acid glutamine. It is possible to resolve cancer, as we have seen in, in several people, who do these long-term water-only fasting. Mm. Because long-term water-only mm. fasting not only lowers the blood sugar uh, very low, uh, but but also um, will start to lower glutamine after about 14 days. Um, George Cahill from the Joslin Diabetes Center here in Boston, George was the head of the National Diabetes Association. He used to do fasting in humans. And he would find that blood glutamine would start to go down after about 14 to 20 days of water-only fasting. Really? So we must get this glutamine from various foods, right? right. No, 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 the body makes it. The body I makes it. I don't know what it is. Hmm. Patrick, tell me. You can't, there's no diet that will lower glutamine. There's no diet. You need drugs. Hmm. Okay. And I'm telling you that, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, people will listen to what I'm saying, and they'll say, oh, what, what what food should I not eat to lower glutamine? I just did I just tell everybody there's no food you can there's no food. It, it has to be a drug targeted event. Either that or you can water only fast for 21 days or something like this, you'll lower your glutamine. People say, Well, I don't I don't want to do that. You know, um, well, but but people are doing it right now as we speak. Um, or you can use glutamine targeting drugs. Um Do they have any side so, effects? Do they have any downside to them? When you do that? Uh, well, you know, yeah, of course, they everything has a downside yeah. to it. Right. Um, if you don't use it right, if you don't, if you use it at the wrong concentration, um, anything in too high of a concentration will lead to side effect, side effects. What we've discovered is that you can use these glutamine targeting drugs in very, very low concentrations when your body is in nutritional or therapeutic ketosis. So you don't have to supersaturate the body with a drug to kill the glute. And besides, the tumor cells will start using the glucose. It's like the horse. If you put him in the barn and you leave the back door open, he's going to run out the back door. You, 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 got, you got to target the two fuels together at the same time while transitioning the entire body over to fatty acids and ketone bodies, which the tumor cell can't use. I don't know how many times I have said this, and yet people, and, and my, some people in the field continue to show that cancer cells can get energy from ketone bodies or fatty acids. Uh, wrong. They can't. Um, they make mistakes. Uh, they keep saying, oh, I gave the cancer cell fatty acids and it grew faster. And the answer is because you never took away the two fermentable fuels in the microenvironment. You never targeted glucose and glutamine. Fatty acids can enhance fermentation indirectly, not directly. So you cannot ferment fatty acids and ketone bodies. Fermentation is an ancient form of energy metabolism that existed before oxygen came into the planet, onto the atmosphere. 2.5 billion years ago. People have to realize the Earth is very old. The Earth is 4.1 billion years old, right? There were living things on our planet before oxygen came into the atmosphere, and they were all fermenting. 
There was no oxygen. Cancer cells are falling back on these ancient pathways as their dominant form of energy. Is this comp- is this too complicated? I, it's, it's, to me, it's like it's not complicated. Okay, because I deal with this stuff every day. But for the guy in the street, he might not be able to sure. comprehend. I spend a lot of my time in my freshman classes of biology in um, in helping scientific literacy. You'd be surprised at how many mem- members of our society are are scientifically illiterate. So uh, um, saying a lot of this stuff, obviously, it's not understood or comprehended by by no. <laughs> unless you have some level of scientific literacy. All you have to know is the the Earth is very old. Okay. life existed on the earth when there was no oxygen we have how do we know we have fossil record people say well who was around at that time to know that a cell would have been we weren't around in the diet we know dinosaurs existed nobody was around then either (laughs) all right (laughs) people say oh no men and dinosaurs walked on the i mean you get all these crazy idiots out there they're saying this unbelievable crap you know i have to deal with this like what the hell is wrong with people so 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 anyway (laughs) you know the earth is very old (laughs) The earth is very old. Cells existed on the planet before oxygen. Cancer cells are falling back on the same pathways. Um, So in order to stop cancer, you have to take away their fermentable fuels together and transition the body over to an alternative fuel that cannot be fermented. And those are ketone bodies or fatty acids. They cannot be used by, by themselves to generate energy. So the solution to the cancer problem is simultaneously targeting the fermentable fuels while the body is transitioned over a fuel that the tumor cells can't can't use. So the brain is protected, the liver is protected, the heart is protected while you you slowly degrade the tumor cells. So you do this with a ketogenic diet, and what are the other term, the fatty fatty acids? Well, uh, ketogenic diets are simply diets that are low in carbohydrates and high in fats, which is another misconception. People think, oh, the ketogenic diet is harmful. Yes, if you eat tubs of lard for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yes, it's harmful. Uh, if you take a little taste uh, once or twice a day, no, it's not harmful. And all you have to do is look at your triglycerides. If you, if you look at your triglycerides in the blood, you go to your you go to your uh, local physician, let him do a blood work, and look at your LDL HDL ratio and your triglycerides in the blood. And if you see really low triglycerides and high uh, HDL, uh, high-density lipoprotein, you are really healthy. Yeah, if you sit down and eat a tub of lard, uh, your LDL is going to be high, and so are your triglycerides. So this is a sta- this is a clear flags, I am hurting myself, right? So this is not complicated stuff. You just know the markers to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, order-only fasting. Water-only fasting lowers blood sugar and elevates fatty acids and ketone bodies, and you get very healthy. And that's what I'm saying. A lot of cancer patients just do water-only fasting, and they're getting uh, remarkable results. Yeah. Guy Tannenbaum cured himself of advanced-stage prostate cancer by doing a series of 18-day water-only fasting. Well, wow, it's water-only. Boom. And his prostate water cancer only. left the building with Elvis? Left, gone. He's he's on a web. You can talk to him. He'll be happy to tell you. He, he's all all over the web telling everybody how he cured his cancer. Um, What's his yeah, last name? People, we'll get him on. What's his last name? Guy Tannenbaum. Yeah, I talked to Guy. T-E-N-E-N-B-A-U-M. He's a French guy. He's from France, but he lives in Miami. Yeah. Water-only uh, fasting. Wow. Water-only fasting. I wonder um, how that differs from the experiences. You probably heard of the Gerson theory, Gerson Clinic. 
Yeah, you know. They did um, juices was, mostly, juices. I, yeah, but what is it doing to your, your, your blood sugar? Dri it's driving. Everybody, get your, so we developed the glucose ketone index calculator that mm. you can you can buy the keto mojo meter from Amazon. You buy the glucose ketone strips, put your GKI, glucose ketone index, yep. into one uh, 2.0 or below, and then you know your body is burning predominantly fatty acids and ketone bodies. So your blood sugar is really low. Um, well, the other thing we found, which is really remarkable, is when you're in this these therapeutic ketosis, uh, small glutamine targeting drugs, small amounts of these drugs are become super powerful. It's like you don't have to use a lot of kind. Oh, you don't have to use it, right? Interesting. So yeah, and mm. and we're using parasite medication. And 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 the thing that kills me is um, once once the industry realizes that a drug that would be pennies has some therapeutic benefit. They Scarelli the drug. No. You know what that means? Oh, yes. You know Martin Scarelli, the, <laughs> the, the most hated man in the United States. I mean, he boasted about it, and they and they threw his ass in jail. But uh, <laughs> some of these big companies do the same thing. They just don't boast about it. Yeah, just take yeah. the oh, this drug works for cancer. It used to be fifty cents. Okay, now we're going to make it seven hundred dollars. <laughs> Doctor Seifried, I've been doing mostly carnivore diet for about a year or so. That's all, and my blood sugar is crazy. Sometimes it's sixty-five in the morning. Yeah, I'm, that's good. It's like if you had cancer, you'd be killing cancer cells. <laughs> really, just with the sixty-five? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also look at look at your uh, ketones might also be elevated. You might have an interesting. Uh, you might be in a good GKI value. Carnivore diets can give you put you into into therapeutic ketosis. Uh, we know this. Uh, eventually, you can't get uh, you, you can't make much glucose uh, from me eating meats. You just can. Right? So uh, um, yeah, and the glucose is driving the. The thing now, I'm not saying if you went out and ate a whole side of beef that you you wouldn't because you got some fat in there and you get you're gonna you're gonna raise sure. up some of the uh, gluconeogenesis if you eat too much of it. But a, a, a moderate amount. Of fat. I, we've seen it here in the lamp too. You can Have you it? can get into lower your GK. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and you know, people say, well, I I don't eat meat. Uh, what <laughs> are you gonna do for the guy who doesn't eat meat? And the answer is, well, the, you you can eat plants too. Um, it's harder to get into a low GKI with plants than it is with meat, you know, because there's some people, one, I had one, one person said they'd rather, they'd rather die of the brain tumor than eat, eat a piece of meat. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so, cause it's a religious thing, yeah. you know, I some, understand. some folks can't eat meat. So I said, try to, and you know, they're, they're, they're starting to turn into a herbivore trying to eat as much plants. The, the, pro, the, pro, the problem is our body, our, our, our digestive tract didn't evolve to digest plants i know the gorilla yeah <laughs> the gorilla oh, we can we can get nutrition from plants for sure but not as much as a gorilla can uh, a gorilla has a much longer intestinal tract than we do so gorillas are obligate uh herbivores they can eat plants and they can maybe you want to call them vegans you don't care i don't know what you call them but uh, they have an intestinal tract that gets uh can get a lot digest get the energy out of these plants we're omnivores we evolved to mostly to eat meat and uh, we can get massive nutrition uh, from from eating meats. That's not to say that, and, and we're omnivores mean you can eat anything. Humans evolved to eat anything that wall, walked, crawled, or flew on this planet, even each, even each other. <laughs> so and there's, there's, out, there's, a, there's a paper that just came out the other day showing that humans didn't eat each other for ritual purposes, but for nutritional purposes. For nutri that's great. <laughs> Bring that guy on your on your show and find out. That ought to be exciting, right? If you have a question for Dr. Seafried, call 888 
6386 email patrick one So, why it'd be interesting if you saw, I don't know, you could just spitball it here, but if you did 18 days of water fasting or 18 days of green juice, kale, and stuff like that, do you think it could be about the same result? Or you, I, you have to do the yeah, It's quantitative biochemistry. Measure your blood. Yeah. Measure the material, uh, your glucose ketone index in the blood. Then you'll know. Everybody says, can I eat this? Can I eat that? I says, what is it doing to your GKI? Oh, I didn't check my GKI. Well, how the hell are you going to know what's, what's good or bad? Okay. You got to have a number. This GKI, did you all invent that thing? Yes. And, it's, and what's it called? Mojo? Uh, Keto Mojo is the meter. Keto Mojo. It's the meter that mm. allows you to simultaneously measure glucose and glutamine. Use different strips. Okay. Uh, a correction. I'm sorry. Uh, glucose and ketone body. Okay. The ketones are are, are water soluble breakdown products of fatty acids. Mm-hmm. The fatty when you stop eating, uh, you lose weight. Okay. How do you lose weight? Okay. Fats from your stored adipose tissue enter into the bloodstream in long chain fatty acids and they go to the liver and chops them up into these smaller uh, carbon water soluble carbon molecules called ketone bodies and they replace glucose they can replace glucose ketone bodies can replace glucose for your brain all right so uh you don't need glucose but uh, glucose is is great the brain will burn it Muscles will burn it, but the brain and muscles and heart can all burn ketone bodies as well. It's an evolutionary adaptation. Hmm. We evolved as a starved species on this planet, right? For 1.5 million years, we had to run down and kill animals in order to survive. Okay? So (laughs) we didn't have McDonald's on every corner. We we didn't have any of these things. All right? So so we were, were in order... Our evolutionary ancestors were not vegans. If they were, you and I would no longer would not we would not be sitting here having this conversation. <laughs> Boy, you know one thing I noticed with the meat, I can eat like I don't know. Sometimes I eat meat at three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm not hungry again until twenty four no. hours. I mean, it's crazy. No. It's like what's it's up? Un- with, yeah, it's, what's it's up unbelievable. With that? What's up with that? No, it's <laughs> because you're satiated. Your 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 the body is as gaining all, gaining all the nu- nutrition and calories from the meat. That's why we evolved. Mm. We evolved to eat this meat, okay? If you are a plant-only guy, you, you're going to have to be chewing plants like a cow all day long, you know, um, in order to get the energy because your body is going to be deprived of the key energy. It's harder to get the nutrition out of a plant than it is out of meat because we didn't evolve to eat only plants. We evolved to eat meat and plants whenever. It was called seasonal. Mm. Uh, we would eat seasonal plants when they were, th- when they were available. But if we didn't have meat, we would not exist as a species. So uh, um, it's just that simple. The gorilla didn't didn't have to eat meat. It evolved to eat plants. The chimpanzee is somewhere between us and the gorilla. But the gorilla, that's so, all he does is eat. I mean, you ever watch him, see him in a video? Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, just like a cow. You look at a cow <laughs> all, all the time. Horses, anything that gets energy from plants, you got to be eating all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? So, because uh, you, you can't get the nutrition out of the, out of the, our, 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 our digestive system isn't long enough to fully get the energy out of the, out of the plants. So what's in meat that we do so well on and keeps us going? What, what are the components of it? What are the, well, you have all these amino acids, amino you, have acids. Tremendous, you have fat, amino acids. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what we, we can generate. We can, we can generate mm-hmm. uh, all of this. The, the issue is in order to get fat, 
you have to have a lot of carbohydrates. So that's why our ancestors were all lean. And the and the and the tribe the tribes today that live by ancestral ways are mostly lean. You rarely saw obese uh, people in tribal societies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know these three hundred pound behemoths uh, walking around. You, you, you don't you never see them in tribe because their diet and lifestyle issues uh, didn't permit uh, enough carbohydrates to store. When when you have highly processed carbohydrates. The carbohydrates are stored as fat. So insulin comes up, insulin rises and takes. All right, we don't pee out sugar unless we have type 1 diabetes or something like this. Sugar is gold because it turns us into fat. Fat stores. It allows us to survive during famine. So if you're if you are in famine or if you are in some condition where food is not available for long periods of time, you start burning up the fat in your body and you become thin because you're burning the fat. But if you're in an environment where you're constantly taking in high carbohydrates, you're going to get fat because we store carbohydrates. We don't store protein. We, when we eat fat, we either burn it on the spot or we excrete it. We don't store fat. It's very hard to store fat. Um, you can make sugar from the two glycerol backbones, but you need energy to do that. So it's like a I'm not gaining and yeah. I'm, I'm using it burning and using. So, but when you eat a lot of carbohydrates, you get fat, especially if you eat fat with carbohydrates, yeah. because now the body says, Oh, I have this fat. Now I can store every molecule of sugar or carb that entered in my body. I'm going to store it on my ass or in my <laughs> gut. <You know? laughs> that's a baked, that's a baked potato with it. a lot of butter, right? Baked potato oh, oh yeah. Baby. Oh, baked potato with big butter on it, man. You're, 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 you're golden. So, uh, uh, you know, we have an obesity epidemic in the country today. I don't think there's any denying that. And that's our genes in action. Those are our 1.52 million years of evolutionary existence on this planet to store energy. Because if we didn't store energy, we would not exist as a species today. So we are supremely geared to store energy. And over a very short period of time, we went from eating low carbohydrate foods which were only seasonal and now we have you know a fast food store on almost every corner and everybody is getting fat uh, not everybody but you know we have an epidemic of obesity which then links to an epidemic of type 2 diabetes an epidemic of cancer an epidemic of dementia you can go right through the list of chronic diseases and uh, invariably uh, the provocative agent is consumption of large amounts of highly processed carbohydrates. Oh. So it's a diet and lifestyle issue. What about sugar in general? How can we know if uh, the sugar we do eat with fruit or, I don't know, some kind of sugar, uh, honey, is is uh, okay for us? How do we know that? Yeah, well, honey, I mean, we, I mean the land of milk and honey, right? Everybody wanted the yeah. land of milk and honey. But because honey, I mean, you have to get, you have to sustain bee bites to get honey. But the, but you know, n- n- uh, who was the guy who invented the smoke to put the bees into a kind of? A, I know he was cool. And, yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> we can get honey without getting stung. You know this guy. So yeah, human ingenuity is unbelievable. Well, you, you'll you'll uh, we we can we we're so uh, we have so much ingenuity mm-hmm. as a species. We just figure out because we all like sweet stuff. You know now we can grow sweet corn. We can. Uh, my friend John Lawnen, who passed away, he w- he was the person at University of Illinois who discovered the mutation that caused sweet sweetness in corn. 
sugary too. So, uh, boy, oh, everybody went nuts, man. We could get now this corn became super sweet. Everybody loved yeah. it. Now you can make gasoline out of it. Yeah. High fructose corn <laughs> syrup. Ethanol, yeah. ethanol yeah. you can put in your gas. Mm. I mean, all this stuff is human ingenuity. But so, just, uh, a, just a small sugar now and then, that's not going to hurt us, right? Yes. Oh, no, it's, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but, you know, I would say exercise is another extremely uh, important component. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think back at our ancestors, um, you know, in the Paleolithic period, think this, we were in the Paleolithic period for a hell of a lot longer than we were in the, in the Neolithic period. The Neolithic period started about 10,000 years ago when we started to cultivate grains. Uh, but before that, for, um, you know, thousands and thousands of years, we were dependent on what we could get in the environment. Um, Plains Indians going after buffaloes. I mean, uh, it was a very large amount of energy exercise was needed to manage or to get enough nutrition to keep ourselves alive. So, uh, um, and now all that's been changed because of our, our technology and innovations. We have been able to raise sweet, uh, highly nutritious. Don't forget the Neolithic period allowed the development of civilization. So uh, when people didn't have to run down their food all day long, they could they could uh, do other things like read books and start mm. to start to think about things <laughs> rather than say, where's my next meal coming Make from? Make babies. <laughs> you know, as fun. a matter of fact, most people today are still wondering about where my next meal is coming from. <laughs> uh, and this you know, is they're uh, eating breakfast. They're thinking about what they're going to have for dinner. <laughs> we're talking with Thomas of Seafood. Dr. Seafood, stay right there. I'm going to do a quick little break here. We'll promote a couple of products, and this is how we make our living other than talking to God and saying send money. Um, just uh, email me, patrick at oneradionetwork.com if you'd like to get a sauna. This is how we sell them. The only way you can get this sauna is by emailing me. I mean, you can you can go online, but don't do that because I can give you a really good price. We love saunas for detoxification. I, uh, I just think it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing to relax. For infrared sauna, 1295 in... Um, Lower 48, 1295, and you get this price, and we'll eat, uh, we'll shoot you one. We're sending one to Turkey actually tomorrow, and uh, it's um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and there's lots of research going on within uh, Finland, other places in the uh, Eastern Europe, with the um, cardiac events, and they have all these different little things, you know, with different blood tests or whatever. And the lower cardiac events, the more saunas you do. It's a fascinating study. They actually had a difference between someone who did three saunas a day and five saunas a day, and they had less cardiac events, what they call cardiac events. And that's a whole list of things that um, might say there's something wonky with your, with, your, um, with your heart. Pretty cool. It's very, very good for your heart. And then you detoxify as well. Email me if you'd like to get one, Patrick. OneRadioNetwork.com. When's the last time you had 50-year-old ginseng? Check it out. Previously with Brandon Amalani of Shen Blossom talking about our very special ginseng. And you don't want something that's been corrupted coming into your body. Like the ginseng is a super important example of that. You know, when you're using aggressive alcohols and solvents, it has a, it has a strange effect with um, ginseng in the sense that when you're not only over-processing it, but putting it in really aggressive alcohols, what's going to happen is that you're going to flip the chemistry on some of the uh, androgenic. Naturally, it's androgenic. It's going to basically protect the telomeres and, and add life to the body and, and protect 
the genetic replication of the cells, but it's also going to boost the androgens and boost the, the male hormones in the body. But if you incubate it in a really aggressive alcohol, it flips those to become estrogenic. Now, estrogens, phytoestrogens are not necessarily bad in balance, but you really don't want that with your ginseng, especially if you're getting like a really high quality, a really old root, something that's very special. You want to like treat it with care and make sure it's delivering what ginseng has to offer. Just a short clip from Brandon talking about the way they do the ginseng, just to give you a better idea of where this company is coming from, the quality and the ethics. Brandon and the Shen Blossom link on OneRadioNetwork.com. Some really, really great stuff. And he's the same fellow that makes the um, Blue Shield. Well, the Blue Shield is made in Australia. So check out that too. It's a great product and it's one of the best best um, instruments we know that uh, helps the body deal with electromagnetic fields. It doesn't block it. I mean, you could you could build a Faraday cage and walk around in that, but I don't recommend it. It's probably hard to get dates when you walk around with that in the bar. But um, it's uh, it works with the cells in the body. Australian technology, and they've used it with uh, cows and chickens, lowering mortality. So the placebo effect is out because cows don't watch TV. Well, I guess some cows do. But uh, it's a great technology. It's called Blue Shield, and you can put one little cube center of your home, goes out 90 yards, and we don't make any medical claims like, you know, if you live under a cell phone tower or something like that, not good, but it, it helps the body, you know, to, to do a better job with dealing with these things, and we're just now learning what they, you know, what's really going on. Anyway, check our website, oneradionetwork.com and, and the Blue Shield, and I think you'll like it. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Thomas C. Free, Ph.D., has spent the last 45 years trying to figure this cancer thing out. What has been your biggest surprise, uh, say, 40, 45 or years ago that you discovered about cancer? Your biggest aha moment. Did you have one like, oh, aha? Yeah, I think when when we found that glutamine could be fermented oh. um, to support Otto Warburg's central theory. So, um, you know, I, I think that's going to be the big, and, and the people in the field aren't arguing about glutamine being important. They just think it's respired, not fermented. And I, I think that's a mechanism that's uh, linked to the, as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cell there. Are, these are cells that grow, grow uh, in the absence of oxygen. So, um, and there's, how do you grow when there's no oxygen? And the answer is you ferment. You ferment. And, and, and fermentation is energy without oxygen. Fermentation is energy without oxygen. Okay, well, everything has to generate energy. What, what, do you gener- what are the fuels that generates energy without oxygen? The answer is glucose and glutamine. So that tells us right there how you're going to manage cancer. Um, once you realize that it's, it can't live without energy, how does it get energy? It ferments. Is, are there any human cancers that do not use fermentation to generate energy? And the answer is we haven't found that. You haven't found one. No. And as a matter of fact, that was one of the big things about Warburg. Uh, they said, oh, we have a very, very indolent form of liver cancer. Um, Dean Burke, who was the head of the NCI at the time, National Cancer Institute, who was at that time a big supporter of Warburg, 
he said, well, let's look. He found a very, very slow-growing liver tumor. And despite the fact that it was so slow-growing, they still found lactic acid being produced. So uh, higher than normal liver cells. So again, it was a uh, uh, generating energy through this fermentation mechanism. So I went through all the major cancers. And there's another thing. Um, in a major concept in evolutionary biology is that structure determines function. Structure determines function. Okay. Give us an uh, example of that. So if we look at the DNA, uh, and we would have a mutation, the normal DNA would code for a mRNA that would then produce a protein, and that protein would have a particular function based on the structure of the DNA. The nucleotide arrangement in the DNA would produce a functional protein. If there was a abnormality in one of the nucleotides, that would alter the structure of the gene and the function of the protein, and then you would have a consequence of uh, of that uh, structural defect in the in the in the DNA. If you look at the our, our arms, the legs, the cat, they're they're all the similar bones that have been modified for a particular uh, function. So structure determines function. It's an evolutionarily conserved uh, concept. Mm. So the organelle that generates energy in our cells is the mitochondrion, and that has a very defined structure. And that structure allows our cells to get energy from oxygen. So you look under the electron microscope, and you see all these little beautiful bean-shaped organelles, and they all have beautiful cristae stripes, uh, and they're all producing energy in those cells through respiration. We breathe air. We're, mm. we're, we're breathing air, and we're generating energy because we're breathing. But if you look at cancer cells under the electron microscope, you see the structure of that organelle is massively disturbed. So there's sometimes very few of them. Their stru internal structure is, is disturbed. And that tells us that that organelle is not going to be able to function uh, properly. But yet the cell is still alive. So if the organelle that's responsible for generating energy by us breathing is not structurally in, in, intact, how is the cell alive? So what's happening, it's falling back on an ancient pathway of fermentation, which is what Werberg said. But he, so now we know that the structure of the organelle that generates energy is abnormal, and therefore the function of that is going to be abnormal, which is, means the cell can't go to energy from oxygen. And cancer cells live without oxygen. That's because they switched the fermentation, because the structure of the organelle that generates <laughs> oxygen is defective. So I went through all the major cancers, and I couldn't find one that had normal mitochondria. And their job is to survive and to live. Is that, so what do they do all day? What are they trying to do? What's their job? Cancer cells? Yeah, cancer can, cells. Can, can, just divide. Just divide. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they just divide. And the definition of cancer is cell division out of control. Huh. That's the definition of cancer. Cell division. So these cells are dividing out of control. Okay? And where are they getting their energy for division? Through the process of fermentation. How do you know? Because they can live without oxygen. Wow. So it's got to be fermentation. <laughs> Gotta be. No, you want to you want to see. Okay, you want to stop oxidative phosphorylation. Listen, the best way to stop. Uh, what do you think, uh, Patrick? Tell me what way you think the best way to stop energy from uh, uh, from us using oxygen. What do you think the best from, way is? From uh, what yeah, do you yeah. mean about it? If you wanted to see whether you could live in the absence of oxygen, what would be a good way to test that? Um, hold your breath. 
Yeah. And, and then what happens is your brain triggers and you start breathing again. Right. But if, if someone were to strangle you uh, and say, OK, I've, I've held the, this guy without oxygen now for, for 10 minutes, I've strangled him. Now, now let's see if he can breathe. No, the guy's dead. Hmm. Uh, even a faster way, you should, you should drink cyanide, right? Cyanide stops oxidative phosphorylation immediately. There's nobody I know who can drink cyanide and say it didn't hurt me, except a cancer cell. Hmm. Cancer cells can live in cyanide. They, they don't, don't need. They don't need oxygen. They don't. <laughs> so that's, that that tells you the difference between our cell and a cancer cell. Cancer cell divides out of control because it has available fermentation in the in the microenvironment mm -hmm. of the tumor. Mm -hmm. And how do you get? What would be a good way to get your cancer cell to grow really really fast? Eat Think of it now. Eat sugar, or eat carbohydrates, yeah. and eat sugar, or eat or Ice. get your blood sugar up. Yeah. Get your blood sugar as high as you can get. Yeah. Okay. So people that are obese uh, oftentimes have very high blood sugar. Sure. Sure. Okay. So you want if if you're if you're obese, then and uh, then you should be able to really get your cancer cells to grow fast. Uh, and uh, so then you take toxic radiation and chemo. And guess what happens when you take radiation? Your blood sugar goes through the roof. Why? Well, what's in the radiation? <laughs> the stress. Wow. When when you are under stress, corticosteroids are released internally. Wow. So you elevate blood sugar. Now you're you're incinerating cancer cells, but any any of the ones you didn't incinerate are going to come back. Whoa, they're going to come back at you. Wow. So uh, you know, it's, if you don't understand evolutionary biology, there's no way in hell you're going to understand cancer. Mm. Let's put it that way. So you go to your oncologist, ask him if he understands evolutionary biology. Uh, and, and, and if they look at you like a deer in a headlight, you know, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, the challenges, well, of course, you know, they yeah. give you this so we diagnosis. Have, we have a cancer epidemic. We have mm. an obesity epidemic. We yes. have all these epidemics because of a fundamental lack of understanding of evolutionary biology. Yeah. So um, and when you understand evolutionary biology, none of this stuff is a mystery. And there's clear, definable solutions to dealing with the problem. The problem is. Uh, it, it, most people don't care. Um, people, I, I, people are saying, how would you say they don't care? Because we have an obesity epidemic. If they cared, we wouldn't have an obesity <laughs> epidemic. Just look, you know, just look. <laughs> right? Doctor. And, we're, and the, the society is fundamentally scientifically illiterate. So when you put the two together, you got a problem. Well, also, you, you mentioned like University of Texas. Let's, let's pick on them because they're close. I mean, it, it's almost like this has turned into a religion that they just don't want to admit that anything they've been doing is wrong. I mean, that's just... Well, I think you, you have... I, if, if if you're an inquisitive person, you'd have to ask, yeah. um, why, why are we not making any progress, major progress? I mean, as I said in the brain cancer thing, uh, we have not uh, made any major progress in managing glioblastoma, deadly breast cancer, in 100 years. Hmm. So in 1925... Survival for glioblastoma was 18, 8 to 14 months. In 2023, it's 8 to 15 or 17 months. So think about, I said, we got the, the Webb telescope orbiting a, the Earth at a million miles. We're looking at the origin, of the, and we haven't made a single advance in glioblastoma in 100 years because the people are, because they, it's not a genetic disease. It's a mitochondrial metabolic disease. It thrives. And listen, it thrives on, on glucose and glutamine. And when you irradiate somebody's brain with a brain tumor, you free up massive amounts of glucose and glutamine, which makes it predictable that almost everybody is dead before five years because of the treatment and it, the tumor explain together. Explain to us what, what they, quote, believe a genetic. How, what is their argument and how do they see it? 
how it plays out. Kind of tell us what they've been taught. Well, they're taught that cancer has many different mutations, Mut- which is true. Mut- yeah. So if you, if you look at the DNA of cancer cells and the chromosomal arrangements of, of cancer mm. cells, right. they're broken chromosomes. Uh, you have all, every almost every gene that's been. We have now identified over a hundred million different kinds of mutations in cancer cells. Every every cancer every cell within the tumor that dysregulated growth has a different constellation of mutations than the than any other cell in that tumor. But when you put them all together, they have millions of different kinds of mutations. And uh, but one thing they all have in common: they're all fermenters. They can't live without fermentation. They all have different mutations, but they all have one thing in common. They 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 can't live without the fermentation energy. So so uh, yeah, it makes it good because when you go to um you know all the big cancer research center, even there the 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 um the one there in Houston that you guys have, there's all cancer. MD Everybody Anderson. has it. Yeah, MD. Yeah, yeah, MD Anderson. They're, they're all the same. Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, Dana Farber. They're all chasing their tail. They're all looking for these mutations and trying to say, oh, we have a targeted therapy that's going to just be specific for you. Well, why don't you take the target? Why don't you get, why don't you use a, a therapy that will kill all the tumor cells simultaneously rather than going after a few of them with your, with your targeted therapy? And the answer is, no, it can't be true because cancer is a genetic disease and they're all genetically different. And I'm saying, no, that's, uh, they're, they're all, that's all downstream effects. All the mutations are coming from as an effect of the damage to respiration. And that's a difficult pill to swallow yeah. because we can manage this cancer on the cheap in almost every form of cancer. They're all very much the same. I did. I went through the laborious task of looking at the structure of the mitochondria and every major cancer. They're all broken. They're all defective in some way, meaning that all the different cells in a tumor, whether you have a brain cancer, ble- breast cancer, colon cancer, bladder cancer, liver cancer, mel- melanoma, uh, blood cancer, they're all dis- they're all similar. They they need fermentation for for growth. So let's target the fermentation, and we can manage this, right? Oh no, can't do that. Why? Because the National Cancer Institute says cancer is a genetic disease, and for us to get our research grants, we're going to have to say it's a genetic disease. And I was looking this morning. There's a lot of money involved with this thing. I mean, bill- probably half a trillion dollars. Easy, you know. That's just back, Listen, that's just back of the envelope. Know, yeah, well, I mean, the 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 industry's there. Just to, yeah, we have a lot of problems. I mean, yeah, I, I would say that uh, people don't want to change their diet lifestyle. So yeah, uh, there's a misunderstanding of what the nature of the biology of the problem is. So you put all that together, and you've got a problem. And um, the idea is, can we manage cancer more effectively? And the answer is absolutely. Um, do we want to do it? Uh, what do the people say? What do people want? Ultimately, ultimately, the people are the consumers. What do they want? Do they want radiation and chemo? I mean, if they do, then it's always there for them. Do they want immunotherapies and pay $156,000 for a drug that might might cure them, but has just as much probability of killing them? You know, when you hear the drugs advertised on TV at night, they spend more time telling you how the drug is going to kill you than <laughs> how it's going to help you, right? Anybody aware of this? And they're saying, oh, it's rare. No, it's not rare. They wouldn't be saying if it were so rare, hmm. you know? So, uh, but people, you know, I don't know what they, they want, you know? Well, they, they, they just don't want to die, and then they believe the doctor. Doctor tells them how to do it, you know? Yeah, well, the doctor is only there uh, because he's trained in a certain way yeah. to do that. When they give you radiation, they do it so, you you know, uh, smoke doesn't come out of your ears. But, but you know, they, they know how to do it so it, it doesn't kill you. Uh, but sometimes it does. 
and the chemo is poison for the most part. So you're trying to poison the cancer before you kill the patient. And this is like nuts. This is stone age. This is called medieval. <laughs> this is called medieval therapy, right? <laughs> uh, listener, Patty, oh. Patty wants to know, has your guest seen more than that one person he mentioned do a water fast and kill cancer or get, get well? Have you seen more than one person? Oh, yeah. Oh, have you? Uh, you know who's collecting, who's collecting the data? Uh, there's a movie, the documentary on cancer, the revolution is coming out. Maggie and Brad Jones have made it. You can go on the web hmm. and you can look up cancer, the cancer revolution documentary. Okay. And they are collecting dozens and dozens of people that are using metabolic therapy to manage their cancer. It's not, you know, there are those people who will do long-term water only fast to manage their cancer. Mm -hmm. Is it the only way? No, it's not the only way. In fact, we're trying to show you that you can use combos of, of, uh, diets that will lower blood sugar and elevate ketone with specific low dose drugs, uh, that will do the same thing. Um, in fact, there's so many different ways to kill cancer cells without toxicity. It's unbelievable. Um, it's just that people don't want to, people don't, I, I don't say they don't want to do it. They just don't know about they it. They don't know about it. And nor do they, nor, they don't know about it. Uh, and, and the, and the physicians in the major oncology clinics also don't know about it. I mean, you go down, if you want to know what they know, go down and say, do you know, um, that glucose drives cancer? Do you know that my tumor can grow very, very slow if I lower glucose and very, very fast if I elevate blood sugar? And from my experience, the majority will say, I never heard of this. There's no evidence to support this. I said, what do you mean? Do you, do you read the scientific literature at all? Like, <laughs> there's hundreds of papers out there saying this. Well, if, if it's true, I would have known about it. Oh, no, you wouldn't. Do you read the scientific literature every day? Do you do the experiments? No, I'm depending on the field to tell me. Well, who, who's going to tell you? The National Cancer Institute? They're chasing genes. They're gene chasers. And, and the genes are, are largely, I don't want to say completely irrelevant, but mostly irrelevant. Mm. So they're, they're, the cells are growing on a fermentation mechanism. you got to target the fermentation. Can you kill them with a targeted immunotherapy? Yes. Yes. So when you're doing the right diet, a ketogenic diet, um, and if you didn't do that drug that lowers glutamine, would you be successful? At Some people are. Mm. Some people are. Some people are not. Mm. Okay, so we have guys that are alive real long. Do they have their cancer cured? No. How do you know? Because I see it under a uh, PET scan. It's still there. You can see it. Uh, oh, yeah. You can see it on a PET scan. Well, I'm not cured. No, you're not. But you've actually lived five times longer. <laughs> you're still alive, right? How do we how do we how do we calculate? How do we define success? What is success? Success is a lot being alive in a high quality of life. Okay. Someone say, oh, your cancer is terminal. Um, well, in one way, we're all terminal. <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> right? But, but what does it mean? Oh, I have a terminal disease. Um, when do you think it's going to kill you? I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now. But no, if it's terminal, everybody thinks oh, I'm going to be dead in six months. Well, in many cases, you are. If someone is irradiant and poisoning you, it's very hard to get healthy. Mm. But, but if you do metabolic therapy, there's a chance that you could live far longer. A long time. And you would... The problem is we, we have a problem, and that's that almost no one knows about metabolic therapy. They don't understand evolutionary concepts. They don't understand the principles of what I'm talking about, not that it cannot be understood. The training in all the medical schools is is uh, obtuse to what I'm saying. Um, patients themselves, uh, but I'll tell you, patients themselves, they really want to participate in their, yeah. they want to play an active role. Sure. And, and metabolic therapy, the patient plays the a big role in their health care. 
So they have to know. They don't want to be just sitting there in a chair getting infused with the poison, right. uh, having a mark on their body to tell you where the radiation beam should go. You know, they want to play an active role. Now, it may be possible to uh, produce hybrid systems where we can use very, very low doses of chemo together with metabolic approaches, because we're finding that once you're in therapeutic ketosis, some of these drugs work so much better, which will reduce significantly. Would that just the toxic- speed it up, though? That you, did you use the it, chemo? It, will, it can both do both. It, it can speed it up uh, and reduce the adverse effects. So there's a lot of advantages to marrying metabolic therapy with standards. But you have to change the dosage and the timing and the scheduling of these standards. So radiation uh, can also be improved, maybe not for brain cancer, but certainly for possibly other cancers. So again, it's going to be a hybrid system at at first before we switch completely over to metabolic therapy. And you all are are beginning to do a real program, so you're going to figure this out and study it and quantify it. Well, you know, I feel bad. I, I feel bad because patient, patient people hear me uh, all over the web, and then they say, well, where do we go? Where do we go? They right. run down to their oncology. He says, I never heard of this stuff. <laughs> uh, um, right? That's the I problem. Know. Yeah. So uh, I feel bad. I said, what do you want me to do? I mean, I, I, I can't start. I'm not a physician. I can't treat patients. I don't have a license to treat patients. I just have a plan that's based on the concepts of evolutionary biology and understanding biochemistry that could completely change the entire system. But who's going to... We, we have to train the position, physician. We're, we're writing treatment protocols now, and we would have to train young physicians to come into the field and know how to do this, wield the power of, 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 of diet, nutrition, and drugs. Mm-hmm. Diet, nutrition, and drugs. These, this is really going to be amazing. Once you realize that there are certain drugs that work together with specific diets, I mean, you're going to really see tremendous therapeutic benefit. The problem right now is that a lot of people never heard of this. They don't know anything about it. They're not trained to do this. I mean, you go into oncology clinics, they're training you how not to kill people with the treatments they're using. Yes. It's not like, you know, I don't know anybody who died from metabolic therapy. I mean, it's just, uh, you, you know, you just get healthy. You don't get sick. So who funds you know? your research? How do you, how do you uh, fund your research? All of, our, all of our research is supported by, by philanthropy and private foundations. Interesting. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get, not to say it's it's not possible to get uh, money from the federal government to do this. Um, it's just that you you have to jump through all kinds of hoops. Um, we we we're laser focused on knowing what we what we need to do and how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I think right now, if the National Cancer Institute's telling us that cancer is a genetic disease, um, it's very hard to say that genes don't play a role and that you can manage this cancer on the cheap with uh, just simply targeting the two fermentable fuels driving the beast. Well, this is this is not something that is embraced. And uh, it's not embraced either by the, the scientists that are actually doing metabol- metabolic studies. They're arguing that the genes control the metabolism. I'm arguing, no, the metabolism is controlling the, the, the gene expression profiles. A lot of these, yeah, a lot of these uh, genes, they're facilitators, they're, they're, they they will respond to the changed metabolic environment. They're, they're not causing the change. They're, they're responding to the change. So again, these are philosophical understanding concepts that have to be that have to be understood. So and how do I know that we're right? Because I have seen the results from people doing what we're saying. Really? Are there a lot of them? No. People say, well, I don't believe you. Uh, and I and I said, well, um, you know, uh, why don't you do a clinical trial? 
you know, okay, let's do a clinical. Tell MD Anderson, let's get a clinical trial on metabolic therapy the way we think it should be done. You go down there and talk to the head guy or Dana Farber, MD Anderson, or, or Sloan Kettering, and you're going to say, oh, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that because the IRB will not approve it. Well, okay, then, well, who's going to improve a clinical trial the way we think it should be done? The popular people are going to want it. That's who's going to want it, not these guys at the top medical school, until they become uh, knowledgeable and convinced that cancer is a, a, a metabolic disease. It's not a genetic, it's mitochondrial metabolic disease. <laughs> Once you realize that and understand the philosophical concepts behind it, it's going to happen. I know that. I, when is it going to happen? I don't know. But it's definitely going to change. You can't continue to well, do yeah, what we're I doing. Mean, nobody's people. getting any results with this. You know. yeah. How is well, it? You people know, are. I guess. So. I mean, you see guys on TV that took immunotherapy, and they're all smiling, and they're driving their car, and happy. Everybody's looking happy. You don't see the guy sitting on the toilet uh, with diarrhea, vomiting half the day, laying in bed because he has no energy. You don't see that. They're not right. saying, oh, take our immunotherapy. Look at a, look at this guy. He's been laying there for three days, can't get out of bed. You're not going to show that, you know. Yes, <laughs> but you're going to tell them that this drug will kill you in 15 different ways. <laughs> I've been wanting to ask you this. I've known two women in my life, and about three years apart, and in both cases, they had a lump in their breast, and in both uh, serendipity, uh, as fate would have it, they both realized it was because they were stressed out over this or that, and they yeah. just they just got rid of it. They started to meditate, and and their lumps went away. How do you yeah. how do you how do you um, you know explain reconcile that? this? Yeah, how do you? Yeah. thanks for the word. Well, yeah. Because yeah. because stress uh, elevates blood sugar mm. uh, and causes inflammation. Stre a stressful environment causes uh, elevated glu glu glucose and inflammation. Wow. And the origin of cancer is damage to oxidative phosphorylation. So if you're in a constantly depressed uh, state, uh, stressed out, depressed, all this, you put stress on your body, damaging the cells that could uh, that uh, need oxidative phosphorylation. So one of the things in our press pulse therapeutic strategy is stress management. Mm. Uh, exercise and stress management is absolutely essential for metabolic therapy to work. So it's a whole lifestyle package mm. that has to be incorporated into managing the cancer. Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. Those, by the time you see a lump, those cells have been growing for a long period of time. Have they? By the time you see blood coming out of some orifice of your body, yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's the body's signal to you that you're out of metabolic homeostasis. So the first thing you got to do is get back into metabolic homeostasis. And then we, then we slowly degrade the tumor. We don't do it overnight. We don't try to you know, destroy everything. It's a, it's a slow degrade. We're degrading the tumor slowly while we're enhancing the health and vitality of the, of the whole person. So when the person emerges from the treatment of metabolic therapy, they're often super, much healthier than they were when they started. And they don't have all of these debilitating adverse effects that you would get from radiation and toxic chemicals. So, you know, it's hard to imagine that we would treat somebody to make them healthy. Now, the, by, by using very toxic treatments. So, and, and a lot of people, of course, they might have a lump and it's a, it's a minor non-metastatic, uh, non non-malignant. Right. And you get the full blast of radiation and chemo. To, to, it's like going after a fly with a baseball bat. Yes. I mean, you don't you don't need to do as much as you you just assume that every lump is super metastatic and malignant. That's not necessarily true. Do metabolic therapy, and like you said, if it disappears, you might not need to do anything more. <laughs> if it doesn't disappear, yeah. then you then you start to hit the the tumor, take away glucose and glutamine while enhancing the. Uh, the There's a lot of things you need to know how the patient responds to the the the, the upfront uh, treatment. 
we've done so many shows over the years of people that really figured out that they caused the cancer by stress and worry and trauma, and they just yeah. they just they just kind of got it together and start talking to God or whatever they did, and they they got rid of it. And they all said yeah. it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I can tell you how many shows over fifteen years. I was yeah. the best thing that ever happened to me because I changed. You know, I quit yeah. worrying all the I, time. I think yeah. A, a radical change in diet and lifestyle oftentimes has a very positive effect. Oh man! Uh, if it's done in the right way, there's no question about it. Yeah. But it's just one part of the overall process. So you have to bring all the parts together to get the full uh, outcome, which is outcome means no more cell division out of control and an emergence of a new higher state and quality of life. And that's ultimately what defines the success in cancer management. Not to get too far afield, but we've done quite a few shows over the years. It's been long ago where there was definite connection between root canals and breast cancer. Yeah, you know, I, I went to a, a, a number of um, society Did meetings you? about that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've seen some, the teeth are are indicators of health. Yes. Um, you know, and people with, with bacterial infections and all this leads to systemic inflammation and can also have uh, negative impacts on parts of the body. So for sure, I, I, but I can't speak. Right. I haven't done any of those studies myself, so I really... I haven't tested a lot of these concepts, but generally it might have some linkages. I don't, I don't know if it's a fermentation, but I've done quite a few shows with the biological dentists and they say that these root canals are anaerobic. They, they there's no oxygen up there and they're just hanging out yeah. and growing and, and putting out poop, you know, well, and yeah. toxins. Well, well, you can certainly see, I, I agree. I mean, if you have a pocket of, 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 um, in a tooth where there's no oxygen and bacteria, some bacteria and the bacteria grow without oxygen yes, as well. Wow. So, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, they, uh, and you take away their fermentable fuels and they'll die as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but cancer cells are, are a mammal. Cancer is not a parasite. Okay. People always say cancer. I can't tell you how many people have said cancers are parasites. No, it's not. Parasites are different species. Okay. Uh, toxoplasmosis and these things. However, parasites and cancer use common metabolic pathways. So that may be what's confusing a lot of people. Uh, uh, the metabolic pathways in cancers and parasites are overlapping in some ways. So, um, uh, so cancer, let me say loud and clear, cancer is not a parasite. parasite. I think uh, it could be the cholesterol thing where I suspect and many people believe that parasites are trying to clean things up along the way and they get found at the scene of the accident and they get blamed. Much like, remember the days uh, of the cholesterol? You know, no? I, I think that's, that could be true to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there are some parasites that produce uh, a local inflammation mm -hmm. in the microenvironment. And my, uh, uh, chronic inflammation or intermittent hypoxia uh, can all damage mitochondria respiration chronically, leading to a dysregulated growth. So, um, so clearly, parasites can initiate cancer, but they are not cancer. They are a different species altogether. But can they can they produce a tumor in the right context? Yes, they can. So people have to recognize but that. We, either with toxins or with sugar or stress, the, the tissues get damaged, Dr. Seafried, right? Somehow the tissues get damaged and that's what causes, causes the chronic, it causes yes. the cancer cells to, to... Well, it causes normal cells to become cancer cells. Normal cells to become cancer cells. Yeah, that's a normal cell is a growth-regulated cell. 
A cancer cell is is a, a dysregulated growth. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So what made this growth-regulated liver, uh, bladder, brain, breast, cell become dysregulated in its growth? And it was due to chronic interruption of the ability of that cell to generate energy through oxygen, gradually transforming that cell into a cell that depends on fermentation, energy without oxygen, which then leads to dysregulated cell growth. Why? Because the organelle, the mitochondria, controls the cell cycle and the regulation of the differentiated state. None of this is complicated if you understand evolutionary biology. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the key. If you don't understand evolutionary biology, you will never really understand cancer. I've known several people, several guys, maybe four over many years that just didn't make it with prostate cancer. What, is there any difference between that and, and uh, you know, some people argue, well, you just leave it alone and you die with something else rather than prostate cancer. Is that true? Prost- the, uh, the, the, the male prostate Kind of tricky, cells. isn't it? Yeah, well, no, they ferment just like anyone else, uh, just like any cancer cell. Oh. Uh, they all are somewhat of an indolent cell anyway. They're all, they all seem to look like they're dysmorphic, even when, you're, when, you're, when they're not. Now, like Guy said, uh, Guy Tannenbaum, uh, there's a number of guys managing prostate cancer using metabolic therapy. Yes, if you don't do anything, and if you take those toxic drugs that they give you, these hormonal things, and what do they call it, the chemical... Uh, castration, castration and yeah. hey, how the hell man what the hell kind of crazy shit is that i you know every time i hear this stuff i say to myself <laughs> who's out there doing this kind of crazy stuff you know i mean you don't need to do that if you understand evolutionary biology mm. so uh, uh you don't have to do that i this you, you can stop all this stuff you know um uh yeah i feel so bad for you know i just sit i sit back and i listen to the the craziness that's going on out there and I'm saying these poor guys, I, know. I feel so bad for the people with the breast tumors, the prostate cancer, the brain cancer, the colon cancer. They always come and ask me, oh, can you help me? You know, I, I've lost all this weight. I weigh 80 pounds. I used to weigh 300 pounds. Now I weigh 80 pounds. Wow. And uh, and then they have guys that come into the clinic and he weighs 300 pounds. And they say, oh, we can't, we don't want to let uh, treat this guy. We got to make sure he keeps his weight up. I mean, what kind of crazy stuff is that too? Do you get contacted I mean, by lots of people like, over the, around the world? Huh? You get contacted so, by many people wanting help. Oh, everywhere on everywhere on the planet. They, they email everywhere you. On the, they email yeah, you. from every country, every continent. Wow. Everywhere, and they're all suffering from the same. Uh, and, and what stuff. do you What do you say to them, Doctor? What do you What do you Well, lead, you know, you we try them? to we try to educate them on on what they can do, and then we try to you know they go to their oncologist. The the problem is they get the door slammed in their face. Yeah. Like it would be so great if the if they could take the kit of information that we give them and go to their oncologist and say, "Can you help me uh, yeah. uh, apply this? You can be my app. You can help me do this. You can prescribe the drugs. You can do all the things that we say." And they won't do it because they're not trained to do it. And they said, oh, "I I'll lose my license if I if I do." Oh, that. it's not a standard of care thing. They can't do it. No, you have to follow the standard of care. Hmm. And otherwise you lose it. There's no, there doesn't seem to be any flexibility. Wow. And then they, they argue, they get upset and they say, oh, I never heard of this. This can't be right. And, and uh, so you got to clean the whole, the whole system needs to be cleaned out, you know, uh, high throughput cleaning, <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> you got, you got to reeducate the, 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 otherwise we're never, I, we're going to sit here. And I won't be alive in 40 years. There'll be some other guy sitting here telling you the same thing. Oh yeah, we should have done this, you know, all these years ago. In the meantime, we've we've already lost, you know, 100-
hundred people of cancer from cancer in, in the time frame. So uh, I don't know. It depends on what people want. They want the status quo. They want to continue the standard of care. Then, then there's nothing um, I can say anything to change their opinion. People want radiation and chemo and immunotherapies. Then the great. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is uh, you can't stop them if they want it. I understand. But well, I appreciate the passion for your work, and I wanted to have you back and just flesh this out a little bit more. I've learned a lot again. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna put together a website and so for uh, for people to go. We're trying to work okay. on a website where we have all this. People want to you know they want to know what's they, want, they want if they want to know the details of what I am saying. All they have to do is go on Google, type my name in, Thomas Efrey, and say publications. Okay, there they are. Okay, they're the public. So, you know, they're, they're people. They, I can't say everything right now. I don't have time to sit down and go through all the details of the experimental procedures and the pathways involved, but it's in the publications. So, if people want to read it, no, there's no food you can eat that will lower glutamine, period. You know, I know you get to ask that a oh, lot. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I told you, right? You know, there's no food you can eat that will lower glutamine. So, uh, you have to use drugs, and the drugs are available. The problem is that uh, the oncologists don't have access to them. They're, they're not part of their uh, uh, treatment protocol. How so long again, do you, we have? How, uh, excuse me. This person wants to know how long could we go without food? I'm joining the show from jo Josephine. <laughs> I don't know how long. Depends, you, <laughs> you know, you want to know? Huh. It depends on how fat you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, um, George Cahill fasted a guy for six months, water only. And uh, he lost months. 200. Whoa. Yeah, he lost a job in the post office. Whoa. He was a post, uh, postal uh, guy. He couldn't deliver the mail anymore. He was too fat. So what happened, George George put him on a water-only diet for for six months. He lost 280 pounds, got his job back, looked great, put on a new suit. Mm. Um, I think the longest guy was one year. Whoa. Um, Whoa. Yeah, uh, at a Scotsman, a Scotsman. Uh, now, the guys who died in uh, uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, that was um, Mays, Mays uh, Northern during the uh, um, Northern Ireland. The, the Protestants and the Catholics were always fighting. They, Bobby Sands and his group uh, of Irish young Irish uh, men. They 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 died uh, after seventy eight to eighty five days without food. My God. So, uh, but uh, but it depends on what your body fat is. We store energy for the exact reason that we were allowed to survive without food with for long periods of time, as long as we had water. We store all kinds of meta metabolites in our bones, the liver, vitamins and minerals are all contained in our fats and liver and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So occasionally you have to take some supplemental vitamins, but you know, every now, but you can live a long time as long as you have stored energy. Mm. And so- I think uh, there's um, any uh, benefit to, a lot of people are doing this uh, intermittent fasting, one meal a day thing, there's any- yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's pretty much how we lived. I mean, we didn't yeah. we didn't have meals a day. You know, you were lucky if you had three meals a week. You know, it's just uh, I you know, I used to go out to McDonald's after killing a mastodon. I don't know if you don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> you have the choice. <laughs> you got you got Pizza Hut or oh. you can chase down a, a deer and try to kill it. <laughs> uh, but don't worry in New York they're they actually did you see where they're actually telling people they can't do the wood fire pizza because of global warming? I mean, I'm telling you, these people are crazy. They're nuts. I'm serious. You know. Oh, well, they can't. You can't eat meat now because it, uh, oh, I know. the animals are throwing too much, you know, uh, stuff into the atmosphere. I know. You know, it's um, it's bonkers. There's so many other more 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 uh, other ways to get global warming than you know not eating meat. 
or coal-fired pieces. <laughs> Canadian woods burned down. Oh, I mean, look how much, I mean, right? Thousands and thousands of acres. You're worried about a coal-fired pizza? I mean, give you, me a break. You can't even make up this stuff, you know. You just can't no, even you make can't. it up. Well, Dr. Seafree, thanks for being on the show. Take care. Let me know if I can help with anything. Come up with some new stuff or some breaking news. Let me know. I'll have you back. Okay, will do. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thomas Seafried and uh, one radio network that was great. I know, seriously. I mean, I, I had a pizza oven when I had a store a long time ago, and you get this wood and you just burn the thing and you make a pizza, you get 800 degrees, the best pizzas ever. In New York, they're saying you can't do that. I think these people should just tell them to pound sand and just do it, you know, because you got to start telling these people you're not going to do it. I'm crazy. You're crazy. All right. I'll see you uh, Friday morning, 10 o'clock. Thanks for your support. I love you all. Take care. Patrick Timponi. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.